Now more than ever, people need to go within and plug into that cellular memory, plug into divine source, detach as much as possible from the matrix. Hello, everybody. This is James Bartley, and I have the privilege today of being a panelist on a discussion about the toxic feminine and divine goddess programming. This is an issue that has come up in the recent past. It's been noted by myself and a number of colleagues how this divine goddess programming and toxic feminine has pervaded much of the new age movement, esoteric metaphysical movement. So we decided to have this panel. It'll be a two-part discussion. Today is the first segment and we will discuss in detail uh, the historical antecedents of what has originally descended, derived from this feminist movement into the divine goddess programming, which goes back many lifetimes and, and many millennia, and we'll delve into that. But for now, let's introduce our panelists. Uh, we have Laura Matsu. Laura, tell us about yourself, your background, and, and how people can contact you. Yeah, so um, currently I work as a holistic life coach. I focus on meditation and yoga and self-healing, I guess you could say. Um, but I started out years ago actually doing more kind of divination, astrology, tarot type things. And then people started coming to me with issues beyond what I could do with astrology. So I had to kind of expand my skill set. So, yeah, that's kind of what I offer people. I do courses with Kelsey on this topic for women, um, retreats with my partner, Bernhard. We have a podcast, and I don't really know how to define myself. I guess I'm just like um, someone who helps others, I guess you could say. Um, and, yeah, did you, you want us to introduce a little bit how we came across this topic as well in this interview? Yes, please, please. Yeah, so I um, – I've had a pretty strong inclination towards the occult, even quite young. So I knew that there was some sort of past history in my own soul's life. Um, and I uncovered the toxic feminine, uh, I guess you could say imprint within my own life and my own shadow and doing my own self work and realizing that um, there was this element within me that was extremely self-destructive, manipulative, controlling, and really traumatized. And I believe this imprint went back beyond this lifetime, um, something that I also had confirmed by some psychics. So it's been an interesting journey kind of, of remembering that and seeing how it played out in my own life through power dynamics, through victim perpetrator traps, through even my attachment towards feminism and using that as an outlet for my own revenge. Um, and then I ended up writing an article about it. And interestingly, Kelsey wrote a super similar article. And that's when I started realizing that this isn't just someone that you know, I dealt with, but this is something that many women are probably uncovering within their own lives in some way or some form. So yeah, that's been the journey for me and still working with that element within me to this day and really just checking myself and trying to use it as a signpost for to stay in integrity and to stay connected to truth. So yeah, that's me. And what is your website and talk a little about your podcast, Laura? Yeah. So my website is lauramatsu.com, just like my name with the no spaces. And uh, the website is the cosmic matrix podcast. And you can see that on my 
partner's website on veilofreality.com. And we also have Eve Lorgan, a longtime colleague of mine, well-known in the field. Eve, uh, tell us a bit yeah. about your understanding of this and, and your website. Well, my website is evelorgan.com or alienlovebite.com. And um, I really came to this material from working with the, you know, first the alien abduction uh, syndrome and interferences, um, love bite, of course, and uh, as well as people who've been in MK Ultra or SRA bloodline families where they've been involved in certain kinds of programming, including goddess, mother goddess programming, or and really, um, I've just come across it more through people who come to me as clients who report that they were in a cult and they had the job of being like a type of goddess who would have uh, sexual tantric uh, energetic unions with the the tantric guru who turned out to be a type of predator cult leader dynamic going on and so i learned a lot about that and then how that happened in history and past life memories so i think this is going to be an awesome talk because there's so much involved in this with how we realize over time you know you can only see this over time even some elements of the feminist movement and part of the goddess programming that our injuries and vulnerabilities have been um, manipulated and utilized against us by a higher dark force which is trying to hijack the original creative power of the goddess which in and of itself is not a, a bad or evil thing nor is being feminine or masculine. It's just um, how this has been used against us through very um, clever programming and manipulation tactics, which we can discuss as we go on. So I guess that's all I have to say until we all kind of share together with this topic. Chelsea, can you tell us about yourself and your website and how you came to this topic? For sure. My website is returningtoinnocence.ca. And in my life, it feels like the toxic feminine or this archetype was really um, introduced and um, kind of brought forward in my life at the time I was hitting puberty. And so she's been present since the time I received my first blood in a way. And it's not only until being kind of taken and wrapped up in this cult experience and actually meeting one of those predatorial, narcissistic, guru-type um, men that I was able to meet that darkness within myself as well and see how my own shadow was meeting that similar program. And so it's been a wild journey of tracing back this program, but it's something that I've come to terms with in such a great way now. And I'm really looking forward to this podcast um, something that I do help women is unraveling the um, spiritual abuse, the narcissistic abuse that happens from these cult leaders and different abusive relationships. I also help men healing their lustful energies and sexual perversions that are connected to this toxic feminine um, energetic. And so, yeah, again, like Laura said, um, her and I do a course, which we're going to be launching in April this year, 2020, on Earth Day. So hopefully we'll be sending out a, a new energetic in the grid, and I'm looking forward to that. And, and then here in Vancouver, I offer breathwork and womb weaving sessions with women to heal our wombs and open up um, the true divine feminine essence that is within us once we start clearing out these distortions 
So that's just a little introduction about me and I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kelsey. And our final pa panelist is Mary Ann Fisher. Uh, she's in Texas. Mary Ann, please introduce yourself and your, web your website information. Hello, hello everyone. It is uh, an honor to be here with you, James, and all of you other wonderful souls and the wonderful work that you're doing. So I'm, I feel very honored to be here. And in terms of this specific topic, um, the way it sort of came to light for me, um, first of all, looking at recognizing in myself the feminine healing aspect that I needed to undertake, but primarily through my work with clients, because I take a really holistic approach. And I noticed that not just women experiencing this, but some of my male clients suffering the effects of having experienced women who, you know, it been in relationships with women who had been exposed to this and were struggling with this. And so they were, you know, they struggle with their own issues because of having been exposed to women who were exposed to this. So that's kind of how I came about it. And of course, during the course of my own research and my own work, um, just learning about this, you know, it caused me to go investigate and kind of get a handle on what was really going on in this arena. So that's kind of how I came to the topic. Um, and realizing that this is not just as such, it brought me really clear awareness around that this is a a male as well as female issue it's, it's, they're not separate in other words feminine you know toxic feminine is not separate from toxic max masculine they both go hand in hand and so that's sort of the approach that i've always taken in my work and including work on myself of course so that's kind of how i came to, to this topic <laughs> Thank you, Marianne. And what's your website? Uh, it's restoration-activationproject.com. That's a mouthful. And I've recently um, getting ready to post a commentary that's related to what we're talking about today, very much related, and uh, just published a, a new book called The Self-Mastery Guidebook that addresses these types of issues from a holistic perspective and as i said i provide these kinds of services and self-mastery being that's my name for the path what some might call an awakening journey but the path to attuning to and co-creationally aligning with soul's purpose for the purpose of soul's evolution so that's a bit about me. Thank you, Marianne. Well, we'll get started. Uh, Laura Matsu, uh, lead us into the discussion. What is toxic feminine and goddess programming? What does it look like? And symptomology and effects, for example. Oh, wow. I have to answer a big question. Um, well, I really see it um, as one aspect <laughs> I guess um, the traits of the toxic feminine is usually very manipulative, very controlling, uses seduction in order to draw people in, is often very disembodied, thus why she abuses her own body and uses her own body as a portal. As Eve kind of mentioned, often these 
toxic feminine imprints have their hooks in past lives. Like for myself, for instance, it had to do with kind of the ancient Egypt priestess programming where back then, you know, um, we may romanticize about Egypt now, but the woman was often sacrificed in order to allow these demonic energies to act through her. And that's really the core imprint beyond it is there will be a very demonic energy that will take over the women in these states. And it's very distant from the true self. It's usually based on trauma, i.e. deep soul trauma. Um, and I mean, it has, she has many faces, you know, um, I guess you could say she has like an archetypal figure in the media as well, you know, uh, famous actresses like Angelina Jolie, Katy Perry, they all play on this imagery. So it's something that we're very familiar with. And in fact, I think we're more familiar with the toxic feminine than we are with the divine feminine. We don't see that as far as like representations and the media. And the toxic feminine, one of her favorite um, occupying spaces now is actually like this fourth wave feminism we see, which is very based on revenge and wanting to control. And it's, it's, it's fueled on trauma, basically unresolved trauma, which I know what it was for me. It's like, let's take down, burn down the patriarchy and men are the worst. And it's very much focused on uh, divide and conquer within the masculine and feminine within men and women, and also pitting men against women, trying to manipulate men. So it's this huge kind of um, disconnection. And I really see it fundamentally as a disconnection from consciousness and body, because it's a very disembodied energy. Um, so it shows up, I, I mean, in so many different ways. I know in my own life, I'll just give an example because that's what I can kind of speak best to, but I ended up similar to Kelsey in, some, in situations with like predatory, narcissistic uh, men. And a huge part of me wanted to just blame them and say, oh, you're, you know, these are sociopaths or narcissists. That actually was true. But there was a part in me, a very wounded uh, victim identified aspect of me who basically got myself into this situation. So not only that, there was a deeper shadow. Like I was, there was a part of me that was feeding off the sexual attention, even though I was hollow inside, there was something in me that was feeding off of that. Um, and, and, and just coming to terms with like how the toxic feminine seeks power through vectoring power away from others. And that's really kind of the machinery that's operating her instead of being sourced from like, source or your true nature or whatever you want to call it she feeds off of the power that she takes from others so it's i.e through taking it from men through sexual energy through taking other people down and it, there's there's many kind of faces for it because i really feel that sometimes it's a toxic feminine and sometimes it's also women's relationship with their own i guess you could say animus their own inner masculine that's kind of using her feminine body to, to do exactly what she's accusing others of. So it's kind of like that patrifocal left brain mindset acting through women as well. So yeah, there's many faces to it. I guess that kind of summarizes my own experience. And, uh, and I also really want to point out that this is something I had to discover through some really harsh realizations in myself. Um, i.e. that we all have a feminine aspect of ourselves that kind of needs to be graduated to a higher level of, of being and awareness and 
and you'll know you you'll get there because you won't be making the world your enemy anymore the divine feminine or the higher element of the feminine is really about connection relationships seeing the world as a reflection of you not creating these polarities and, and kind of fighting with the shadows on the wall so so that's a really important aspect is first like uh, approaching this issue is connecting to your own feminine essence your own feminine nature and realizing the relationship you have with her and who is she and getting to know that aspect and also not like even demonizing the toxic feminine because in my own experience she was ultimately like my spiritual teacher through understanding darkness and really immersing myself in that so yeah i think that the journey to understanding the toxic feminine is really seeing where your own feminine nature is at and at the lowest form she's really um she's a victim and she feeds off of life force and she like it's very seductive too to kind of feed the victim because you feel sorry for her etc um so that's kind of the general energetic uh relation or understanding i have of her thank you laura and i'd like to point out at the outset that this is not a bashing session about the feminine principle we acknowledge the fact that this harsh draco patriarchy has meted out persecution and oppression and punishment to women in general uh, for countless millennia now, that the witch hunts, for example, which lasted for centuries, when one looks at it from an expanded awareness perspective, was a necessary precursor to what we have today. It was the, the basis for all the unrequited rage that is being manifested by this latest wave of feminism to the point that rather than being nurturing and creative and caring individuals, many of this uh, these latest examples of fourth wave feminism, so-called, are male-hating to the point where they despise and hate male babies uh, to the point when there is even a term for it now called uh, gender disappointment. When a, a feminist finds out she's harboring or going to give birth to a male baby, she's disappointed because the baby is going to be a male. That's how distorted and that's how bad things have gotten. So let's just keep that point in mind that we're exalting the divine feminine. And we're also aware of the fact that many of these iconography and the symbolism of the divine feminine has been, has been hijacked as Eve and uh, Laura have, have talked about to the point where many people who regard themselves as, as researchers and investigators, they have a knee jerk reflexive uh, animosity towards any examples of feminine uh, iconography and describe it or dismiss it all as being satanic. So let's keep that point in mind. Uh, Eve Lorgan, please uh, give us your insight as to the, uh, the questions that Laura just addressed. What is toxic feminine and goddess programming? What does it look like in symptomology, symptomology and effects? Yeah, that it's a big question and it, it takes actually a lot of thinking in terms of, um, you know, what I've actually seen in my own life and with clients and what's going on in history. And I suppose if we want to talk about that word programming, um, that means that it's a type of conditioning through belief systems and probably trauma to create a certain controlled vehicle for a particular agenda. So I see it as um, vulnerable and injured women through some kind of injury or abuse or trauma 
have been taken advantage of through programming and trauma to uh, basically carry out the agenda of someone or a group that wants to take advantage of their sexuality and the creative energy of them as um, creative women goddesses, because that's innate in the female anyway, to be able to use that for the agenda that has utilized them through trauma and abuse and programming. So what, like what Laura said, it's, it's basically the injured woman in her feminine nature. Sometimes it's um, an injured sense of self-esteem as you um, grow into a woman. Let's say when you first start your period as a young woman, or you want to be pretty and you want to feel good about yourself, but then there might be contradictory uh, belief systems and abuse hurled at you through the cultural conditioning to basically, well, if you're not um, perfect enough, you're not the perfect cheerleader with big boobs and not popular enough, or you don't have the right body type, then um, this self-hatred and body dysmorphic stuff might take over to have a a self-hating kind of um, response. So sometimes the injury is self-hating and self-sabotaging, and then there's internalized rage and hurt. So it may um, manifest itself through any of the extremes of what I call personality disorders on, let's say, the 3D psychological uh, level. And that could be, you know, maybe they're more codependent and they're more um, victimized. And then there might be that extreme of being more self-effacing and um, not really standing up for themselves, being more victim-like. And then they might have the other extreme of, of the bully and the bitch and the, um, you know, the narcissist persona that takes advantage of her sexuality to control and manipulate wherever she wants to be the most popular kind of thing. So we see that playing out with with basically anyone who's injured in their feminine persona. So that may manifest many ways. So like we already said, that manifests as being sometimes a victim of to the narcissist predator type of male archetype. And that could actually happen in female relationships as well, or or a boss relationship or whatever, that that part of you has been shut down and consistently abused. And then there is anger and there is a shadow. So we need to deal with that shadow. And that's part of why we're discussing this so that we can identify actually the true issues and causes and conditions of this and why it's even manifesting today, why women are so angry. But we can't truly stand in integrity if we act out of um, injury and unresolved trauma and unresolved rage to to get revenge or uh, to be hateful. So, um, so of course, it's going to show up as toxic um, personality disordered and demonically influenced behaviors. And so that's that's part of the problem with some of this programming that takes place in these spirituality oriented things where they're actually utilizing and tapping into um, other entities from other dimensions that may come through them. And then what happens is you have a demonic element come through them on their already injured personalities to cause them to behave in ways that would be totally against what would be feminine loving. In the end, it, it hurts a lot of people. So I think that's that in a nutshell, really. And what I've seen in clients as well. I mean, those who remembered, uh, for example, past life origins where they remembered an, not only ancient Egyptian, but ancient Atlantean and other societies where they, um, let's say they would be in a cave and then they would be basically waiting for this priest to come by and then they would have some kind of sacred sex. But basically they just got raped and then used by these priests who were playing God 
and and then they would just get raped and or they would have a sexual ritual with some kind of priest and they thought that this was something that was of honor in society that would give them a sense of self-esteem and importance in society that they provided this sacred role and then after they'd had this sexual ritual then they were murdered <laughs> and then this would happen lifetime after lifetime where they kept getting involved with the same demonic entity that followed them lifetime from lifetime ended up in their hosted boyfriends or the predators that were playing guru with this whole tantric thingy energy playing out so it was there was a uh, some type of um, bond and agreement that was made in earlier times that kept playing itself out until that woman awakened and cut those ties and you know healed the wounds and realized all the contributing factors that played into being re-victimized by these forces. And um, really, it's it, the realization of this can take a lifetime or like 20 years of looking at one's own trauma and behaviors and belief systems and how the guilt trips and the shame and what was driving them and how they kept being victimized by these same types of predators. So this, this is really huge because it is hyperdimensional, but it's also very psychological. And if we don't deal with both components, they'll just keep playing out over and over again in, in many ways. So I think that's enough for that first question. Uh, thank you, Eve. And uh, we have Kelsey Ray. Kelsey, please give us your thoughts on that question. I feel, you know, Evie and Laura have covered it in such a broad spectrum already. It feels very much like a spirit that is inserted into our beings as women. And, you know, even the toxic masculine, that's it's another story. But when we're fractured so much, this spirit is able to enter us and play through us. And it is so sneaky, this cunning devious manipulative essence of this toxic feminine is so sly and for so long she's been very uh, covert and has manipulated and seduced women and has taken over in many different ways um, a lot of the energy that i feel connected to the toxic feminine is this competitive nature, this jealous, revengeful, rageful, um, she wants power all to herself. She is not willing for anyone else to sit on the throne and she will do whatever she can to make sure that she's the center of attention. And so it creates this, this game of competition amongst women, um, you know, fighting for the man or fighting to become the most popular or seen as the highest goddess and the high priestess on the throne. Um, it ties in kind of energetics of this dark queen that wants to rule over. And what I've seen play out through the media and um, through the goddess programming, this new age goddess um, awakening that's unfolding on the planet is that there's almost this this cheating energy that wants to um, usurp men to gain power and so it's usurping feminine it's usurping masculine energy to gain power and they're literally feeding off their followers so whether in media or in you know this new age world of being seen as a spiritual leader they're taking energy from their followers 
and um, in many ways they're using sort of rituals that are covert or very obvious to gain this power. It's almost like a spiritual warfare is happening with this toxic feminine imprint. Um, you know, looking at the media and looking at, you know, Katy Perry's and these Madonna essences, uh, Beyonce, even I was watching um, Beyonce some um, interviews and she was saying, when I hit the stage, Sasha Fierce is what comes on. Like Beyonce is gone. I'm possessed by Sasha Fierce. And this is that essence of the toxic feminine or the Illuminati spirit, this um, queen that is the patriarchal false gods queen. You know, it's like her, she is the patriarchal patriarchal leader that is ruling this planet. And we think that it's men, but ultimately it has always been the feminine that I believe that has ruled this planet. It is not, you know, men, it's men that have been usurped by this toxic feminine energy that is ruling the planet. And that's how sly and manipulative this energy is. It makes the world believe that it's men, but it's actually her, and she's been able to manipulate men and women and use everyone to her advantage to, you know, play out this program and agenda, um, using sex as a tool, using her body to gain attention and power. Um, for me, I can speak to my own journey with this new age goddess programming, because when I was kind of diving into my healing journey and thinking that I had come so far that I was able to then support women through their trauma. I got kind of set up in this world of entrepreneurship and making a lot of money and being seen. And it was almost like I was placing myself on a tantric pedestal as this leading high priestess and you know, I'm sure I was doing some good helping women heal their sexual abuse, but at the same time, I was so taken over by this force and I was teaching women to use sex magic and manifest and it became this very sly um, program that just wanted me, it was almost like it came into me and all it wanted to do was gain power and gain money and fame fame and fortune and I was using my body to allure clients in you know posting sexy pictures of my body as a sexually empowered feminine woman and it was working I was getting so many clients and I think that's what's happening in this goddess movement you know women are taking pictures of themselves sexually and saying that they're so empowered they're divine goddess and they're wearing the red dress, you know, and even in the matrix, it's like, are you paying attention, Neo? Or are you paying attention to the girl in the red dress? It's so obvious that all these women are kind of, they're trying to get the message across of let's raise the feminine, but they're doing it in a masculine way, almost, you know, it's not feminine to me. It's, there's a desire to want something to fulfill them. At least that was what my experience was, was I needed something to fill me because I was so um, wounded. There was still holes and fractures in my body and I needed to heal that. But 
I was searching for things outside of myself to, to whole, make myself whole in that way. And so, yeah, there's so many different levels, you know, going back, um, looking at the media and the, the ways that the media has portrayed this toxic feminine, but then also going back to the ancient priestess days and the priestess temples and the courtesans and the cults, the sexual cults that are happening and all the representations that are manifesting in today's day and age. And I think we'll go into this later on um, as we unpack more questions through this but you know she's judgmental critical condescending manipulative just ruthless and will do whatever she can to get to her throne and so i've kind of gone on a rant but um i just wanted to share that piece around that goddess programming because it's very much this desire to become this high priestess and yet it's corrupted with power and manipulation and tactics to take over and usurp energy from other people and different false gods and prophets or demigods or whatnot to gain that power and it's literally what is keeping this patriarchal matrix stuck and i don't think it has much to do with men it's the women that are manipulating the men and making the men think that they have power but it's more so that this toxic feminine is like the hit woman for the patriarchy so those are some key points kelsey i'd like to add that if one is familiar with the lore of, of the orion wars the lore of the draco influence in our cosmos it was alleged that the Draco queens were really the ones calling the shots uh, behind the scenes using the male reptilians as kind of their fronts, but it was really the women, the females in the Draco civilization that were calling the shots. And we see this also in, in certain ancient uh, warlike civilizations in ancient Persia and, and other cultures. Oftentimes it was women behind the scenes. Ancient Rome, we saw this too. Uh, some of the women behind the scenes were the ones really jerking the strings of the emperors. Uh, a couple of key points, and then we'll we'll go to Marianne Fisher. Much of this dovetails into other issues, which may not seem related, but definitely are, such as transhumanism, the AI agenda, and what have you. And as we delve deeper into this, we'll, we'll explain why that is. Also, the divine feminine the corruption of the divine feminine utilizing perverting the gener genitor the principle of creation that springs from the womb of the women perverting it and utilizing it for dark purposes is what we're really talking about it's an extreme example of the left-hand path that's been described in occultic circles and we also see what kelsey has been talking about in how males are depicted today the worst characteristics of the distorted, inverted male. Think of a David Ferry type, uh, a guy who wanted to be a priest so he can access uh, young boys, winds up become, becoming a CIA paramilitary officer involved in all kinds of evil deeds. And he was even part of uh, the JFK assassination team. Well, and I'm not being critical towards people of other orientations, but David Ferry is an example of this distorted male where all the worst attributes of the male exemplified by David Ferry 
has now been transferred or at least has been made to manifest within the corrupted female. So that, that's an important point to remember. And now we'll hear from Marianne Fisher. Marianne, please, uh, you have the floor. Well, you all have brought up some superb key specifics in this whole unfoldment. And based on time constraints, I'm going to just sort of take a distilled summary <laughs> approach to all the wonderful things that you guys have addressed uh, so that the audience can kind of get back into some of the basic functionality of this. And um, as I mentioned at the beginning, both toxic feminine and toxic masculine programming are part of the greater divide and conquer strategy. And that strategy being to manipulate the co-creative output of humanity. And both forms of programming enable, reinforce, and exacerbate the other. Um, and several of you touched on this, but the energies that are being put forth uh, particularly by the goddess programming, it's distorted masculine energies. They're not, they don't have anything to do with the true feminine, the true divine feminine. So they're distortions of masculine energies. And goddess programming is a specific tactic within the overall divide and conquer strategy, the toxic feminine programming strategy, with its primary purpose, in summary, being to entrain overt narcissism and all that that implies, the domination, seeking power over others uh, for the purpose of manipulating them toward the goals of the individual or group, whatever's going on. But Goddess programming, like I said, at a baseline level, is characterized by an exaggerated sense of entitlement. And the self-importance-driven behaviors um, as a means of getting what the individual wants in a particular, in particular, you know, that sense of power over others, whether by way of manipulating their way into the attention spotlight or manipulated attainment of money, material possessions, various desired experiences, or some combination thereof. Um, as mentioned, the entertainment industry, even in business, spiritual, and other kinds of divas exemplify this kind of programming, but it is by no means limited to celebrities or other public-facing individuals. Most, um, if not all of us who you know, have been witness to, had relationships or interacted with women whose attitudes and manipulative behaviors reek of entitlement and self-importance. These individuals have been entrained to operate through the superiority side of self-importance. Uh, a variation on the goddess diva types is, as a couple of you have touched on, the sexual seductress, who literally, as Kelsey said, feeds on, gets what she wants, and therefore derives her sense of power primarily by way of sexual manipulation and, you know, the resultant outcomes of that. 
On the other end of the spectrum, the toxic feminine programming spectrum are martyrdom and people pleaser programmed women. Uh, these women have been entrained to self-imposed self-sacrifice and placing their needs and desires second to not only the needs and desires of the men in their lives, but in many cases to all others in their lives. In other words, they place themselves at the bottom of the list. They're programmed primarily to function through the inferiority side of the self-importance, uh, largely, uh, you know, that, that program, largely by way of entrained, extremely low self-esteem. And interestingly, the, the diva side of this, the goddess side of it, they're also functioning through inferiority, although it gets manifested as a superiority thing. But many of the people-pleaser martyrdom programmed individuals, although they often don't realize it, many of these women are covert narcissists who can be as skilled at manipulating others to get what they want as are the goddess diva types. Although the particular type of narcissistic supply they're seeking can be substantially different. So that I hope provides sort of a recap of what we've all been talking about in this arena. Insofar as personal experience, my personal experience was entrainment towards the martyrdom and people pleaser end of the spectrum. Um, and I look back in retrospect and I'm very grateful that that was the end of the programming <laughs> that I was subject to. I suspect I had been, have been um, subject to other, the other end of the spectrum in some of my other incarnations. And that's why subjected to this end of it in this incarnation. So I hope that distillation helps folks. Yes, it does, Marianne. Thank you. The issue of the male Draco energy in particular, but not solely restricted to male Draco energy, working through some of these women that are projecting this divine goddess uh, diva power in some of my work. I've, I've spoken to men who have had dealings, uh, love relationships with such women, and they talk about the power that some of these women yield through the use of their body, as, as Kelsey has talked about, but there's an energetic component to it as well uh, that is very archetypal, primordial energy that plugs into whatever weakness or vulnerability that male has to the point where the woman in our example, the divine goddess, literally a woman who regards herself as a divine goddess can exert her will, not just on that man, but on many women, uh, many men rather that she encounters utilizing that Draco energy. Uh, Laura, would you like to comment about how this, male Draco energy projects itself and how you've observed it working through women and how it affects men in your experience. 
Yeah, so I think you touched on an important point is that um, this aspect is extremely manipulative. We have to also just look at history because women have been oppressed for so many years that we've gotten to become very covert. We can't just go and be uh, overtly aggressive. So we have to be passive aggressive and psychologically manipulative. And that's why it's kind of a trickier energy to spot because it's going to take some self-honesty and humility and since this uh, aspect is very narcissistic um, it most likely will not reveal itself unless a major crisis happens so i can just even say in my own life how that's shown up is that um i guess a core wound was like narcissistic wounding and feeling like i had to present a certain image um, in order to be loved and um, that's how it got in is this core wound of like insecurity and needing to be special too was a huge part of it. And so because I was very insecure and vulnerable, um, and especially because of the rampantness of pedophilia, I, I got preyed on at a very young age, like 11 or something. That was like my first encounter. Um, so I was getting hit on by men in positions of power, even at a super young age. And it was because of my own vulnerability and my own insecurity and my own narcissistic wounding, really. And so that led to like nearly like a decade of like um, a, a putting myself in situations um, with people who merely wanted to like sexually engage with me, basically. And so I had to go through like a whole healing of realizing, taking myself away from being the victim in these circumstances and seeing the hidden power dynamics at play between the masculine and between the feminine and how it acted out in me unconsciously and how even the victim actually can hold a lot of power as well as same as the perpetrator. Like we kind of blame the perpetrator, but they're in a shadow dance with each other. So I was essentially using my body to manipulate men at a certain point and it completely took over. And I even remember back then, even though I wasn't really consciously, uh, you know, reading about the occult or I had an unconscious understanding because of these past life agreements. Um, so something else would occupy me and literally just take over my body and I felt it very strongly and it was a very dark force and it really wanted to feed off of the energy, attention, uh, the creativity of men and like just usurp it and almost not even take it for myself, but it almost enters into like a black hole within the women and she'll, and she can use any means she wants to, to get that. And that's how, because, because it's really this void within women, um, this power gets completely drained from the field almost like she's using it to create more toxic feminine energy, but she's just really, it's an energetic vampire aspect. So just taking, 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 taking from everywhere around her. And so that was my own journey is like realizing, you know, this, my, I was going through a deep, or I had gone through a deep healing by the time the Me Too movement came out which I think is the most kind of recent collective manifestation of that, which was really about, and I thought it was great to expose some of the corruption, but at the same time, it was like really just like hatred and revenge fueled. And that's why it didn't quite resonate with me. It didn't seem to even talk about the trauma and abuse that women often have to go through in order to end up in these situations. It didn't talk about predator prey dynamics, i.e. the predator um, can easily tell the prey 
and we think that the predator is the man, but it's also the woman and her own inner predator that's also knowing exactly who to take into, especially with this, the men that you mentioned. Um, these were probably men as well who were like prey to this woman and, their, and her energy. She knew exactly who to go after. So that... So that's kind of been my own journey is taking full self-responsibility for how I got myself into these power dynamics and then realizing like I'm a huge believer in reincarnation and past lives and power dynamics. I mean, from a, I do astrology are like written all over my astrology chart. So there's a big life lesson there. And so exploring that instead of blaming you know the patriarchy or men in positions of power like what is it in me that's the perfect match to that and so that's what i've had to uncover and then also seeing it as um like all shadow work like this aspect of a woman if she really is able to look at it clearly and uh do self-work on that aspect of herself it's usually where her deepest soul trauma lies so in essence like all light and dark polarities it's actually a spiritual teacher for her which i've discovered is like okay like this is where the deepest densest wound is and what is actually driving that and so i think we touched on this kind of like historically um how this kind of priestess programming isn't showing up in new age circles is that we have women kind of doing reenactments of like what they did in ancient times as gathering women, getting them to open up portals, feeding off of their womb and their life uh, force energy. And this is kind of like the template that many women who um, are in this kind of toxic feminine, toxic masculine dance may be also carrying for themselves is this draconian energy that's acting through them. So um, the entry point to really healing it is going into the traumas and the core wounds, but then even looking at past lives and agreements, because this is like a collective issue that we're trying to blow wide open. It's interesting how there's so much focus on like, I remember Googling toxic feminine like years ago, and I got very few search results, which is fascinating because the toxic masculine is like literally on like Gillette commercials now. And the feminine is like just supposed to just like accept that men are supposed to suffer for her pain. So it's interesting to see the imbalance and um, just bringing, bringing it out into conversation because I feel that um, if we can't discuss this aspect, then that's actually highlighting that there's maybe probably something there. So um, just to bring it back to what you said, like I, it really took um, being able to look at all of these narcissist, empath kind of dynamics I got myself in and see what, 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 what it was within me that was drawn to these situations and it re was really a dark kind of hollow lifeless energy that fed off of the energy of others so it has a huge energetic vampire and i i really like what Mer mary said about also the people pleaser because often it can also manifest as that um and and so you see it i was even at the beginning of my own journey doing astrology and tarot and i was using my own body as a marketing tool which is like you know, like matrix, like 101. And I had to, in order to do that, in order to objectify myself, I had to have a certain sense of disconnection from my body. And I was just going along with the program. So this program has infected everywhere. And 
we justify it because it's like the cultural norm basically. And this isn't about like crudeness or being like, Oh, never show your body or body shame. It's just about like, what is your intention? And like, why are you doing the things you're doing? And, and, and we can really only record like the only person who's going to be able to keep, keep us in integrity um, connected to our feminine nature is going to be ourselves really at the end of the day, like no other person is going to take that journey for us. So so yeah, um, and it's something also uh, that I think is an ongoing journey because even now I see, um, you know, we have, uh, we do like a lot of masculine inner work, i.e. bringing down like higher consciousness or whatever, but the feminine is really about the embodiment process, I feel more than anything, and really tuning into the feelings in our body, which begins with the traumas, and then ultimately you know, we, we experience like oneness and connection to others through our ability to empathize, through our ability to connect to others as well. So this is kind of the, the journey that some women also on the spiritual path, I know myself included, try and bypass by getting out of body and getting into these new age, higher realms. And, um, and that's really like where the wisdom lies for the feminine is in the body, in the earth. So I kind of went on a little bit of a sidetrack, but that's kind of how I saw it play out in my own life. And it really began with like taking full self-responsibility and also importantly, without like blaming and shaming myself, because we're all traumatized and wounded to varying degrees by this energy or through this energy. And we're just trying to kind of uh, like work with it and use it as a tool for our own kind of collective shadow work thank you laura uh, a couple of points i'd like to make before uh, we hear from eve organ we see a lot of the victim identity politics now which you're describing which morphs into a victim aggressor mentality all this unhealed rage at real and perceived slights or injuries is projected outwards and their anger is directed towards males in general, which basically is at least half the human race, when you think about it. And then the target of the wrath is now being depicted in cinema and in uh, the media and in the universities. The male today is depicted as weak, vacillating, indecisive, even effeminate, if you will. So it gives even more fuel to the fire for these rage-filled women to get almost in a bully mode because we see these indecisive uh, males who they're depicted as not even knowing which end of the hammer to hold, let's say make a very easy target, a very easy uh, person to pick on, if you will. So I'd like to just keep those points in mind, the victim aggressor mentality, the victim identity politics, and also the depiction uh, of the the weak, vacillating male, which in reality is is due to chemical manipulation, hormone manipulation, manipulation of the food and everything else. Okay, so uh, there are literally, there are hormones and chemicals which are feminizing males across the board. Uh, Eve Lorgan, if you can elaborate on, uh, in your own words <laughs> on some of the, the the themes that Laura brought up, but also she brought up some key points as well as we all have about the, the entrapments, the past life agreements that kind of hook these women who wind up becoming the divas and the divine goddesses or working out that agenda. Uh, would you like to comment on that? 
Yeah, I think I'll actually comment on some of the things that Marianne brought up with the the programming of many women from different cultural um, ages, really, like in, let's say, my mothers and grandmothers and some of my ancestors, their way of dealing with the patriarchal, biblical control system and their lack of being able to be economically uh, having value as a human being, that they chose their religion more often than not as their savior and then and then got into like religiosity um and goody goody uh almost victorian type of um personas of self-deprecation and giving 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 and enabling abusers and enabling let's say the pedophile or the alcoholic or the abuser or the the patriarchal narcissist who's a who's a you know a preacher that's just totally you know off on religiosity programming so in in my family system i mean there was a lot of um the the women that would enable the, the predator narcissist, patriarchal narcissist, who was also an injured person and a program person by an injured mother. So a lot of times the injured mothers who are um, codependent and self-effacing, um, they will raise up the golden child narcissist son, who, who turns out to be a narcissist later in his relationships and then victimizes a female in his um, partner choices. So we see how there's a toxic end on, on both ends of the spectrum where we have the more overt narcissist, um, dark queen kind of sexual manipulator. Uh, and then we will have the other end, the, self-hate, the self-hating to the point of not even um, showing your sexuality and feeling ashamed and ugly and um, basically being like a nun or a frigid kind of religiosity program enabler, or you completely shut down that part of yourself altogether. And that's another toxic form of the programming itself. And then how that kind of parent could actually produce a narcissist child. So that's what I've seen and and then learning how to to get the healing for both ends of the spectrum and to realize the toxicity of both those systems and the religious systems and the spiritual systems which actually encourage the predators and so even I even see this in Buddhism or even Christianity where you know always doing good unto others you know turning the other cheek um, not really um, one, like the nonviolence and the passivity. And so what's happening is some of these religiosity and um, spiritual systems are actually already co-opted by the predators who feed off our energy. And so they will encourage these programmed um, behaviors and belief systems so that we don't um, defend ourselves or have eyes to see that basically what we're dealing with is, is, you know, a pedophile in our midst and he's being enabled to, to, you know, molest all these young children. So I think that we need to recognize these belief systems that have actually enabled the predation on male and female ends. It doesn't, doesn't matter. They both, they're both toxic. And so we, we want to be able to recognize it so that we do, let's say, the no contact with the narcissist and being able to clearly identify the narcissistic personality disorder and the hosted personality as being um, toxic to yourself and needing to set boundaries in ways that not necessarily confront them overtly because they're bullies by nature. So they're, they're basically experts at fighting and turning it around on you and controlling, manipulating, and then making you wrong and using your your vulnerabilities against you. So it it is a war and it's a spiritual war. So it's understanding the dynamic of where it's playing out to, to where to do the intervention. 
And um, so I guess in history, what I've seen powerless females who are in a patriarchal system, and, and I see it more heavily with um, how even in slaves, like the slaves in the South and in the America, where, you know, basically they're used as slaves. And so their, their self-esteem is based, is, you know, is just shot to hell because they never can seem to make enough money to, uh, to be valued as a human being. No matter how hard you work, you're still a slave. You're still considered a piece of shit. And you still can't get out of poverty. And so women, you know, they couldn't even get jobs, let alone well-paying enough ones to get out of poverty. So you have to work three times harder to have almost as much as a male. And then what happens is your, your divine feminine nature has to be shut down or perverted corrupted so that you can be the the bitch the the holy the holy terror bitch who basically you know you become evil just to survive just to have enough to live so there's a lot of that anger going on even in my family and my generation of women you know we we got degrees we got education we became moms and then when we tried to get a job after divorce um, you find out you're worthless on the job market and you're worthless as a woman later dating because, you know, only younger women are valued in a patriarchal society. So there's a lot of anger, I guess, even in my own life that I saw like, wow, you know, there's a lot of wounding here because of um, how society creates value systems. You know, you're only valuable as a young, sexually uh, beautiful woman, or you're only uh, valuable as a young person who can get a, get a wage or if you're educated, but as an older woman, even if you're educated, you're still not considered as valuable as, as a man of the same age who may not even have a degree, but has all the work experience because he didn't have to take off 15 years to raise a child. So there's still a lot of that going on. And so there's still a lot of angry women um, running around, you know, wanting to punish men and, and then not doing their healing and then realizing, oh, they're falling into that victim programming over and over again. And that's still part of the problem because you're still going to keep attracting predators as long as you stay in that victim belief system. So it's, it's, it's all deep shame-based, every single bit of it. It doesn't matter if you're the, the victim or the victimizer. It's all shame-based. And, and it's driven by, you know, if those wounds are unhealed, then you, you attract to you the darker demonic forces through whatever agreements in, in religion and in spirituality. So um, I think it's understanding the issues. And um, I don't know. I think that's it for me. It's just there. It goes both ways, you know. Well, thank you for sharing that, Eve. And also, I only bring up uh, points and suggestions, but feel free, all of you, to uh, to go in directions where intuition, uh, feminine intuition, is guiding you. Um, we've got a couple more uh, contributions from Kelsey and Ma and Marianne before we take a break. Uh, Kelsey, would you like to uh, comment on any of that or bring up? Uh, other concepts that you, you feel are important to the discussion? Yeah, um, you know, when you asked Evie about these past lives and the connections to them, maybe I can touch on that from my own experience with, you know, contracting with this guru type masculine predator and just um, the weavings of my own darkness and how my own. Um, wounded nature and my own masochism and unworthiness led me into that. Um, so, and kind of how I guess my own healing, what I woke up to, I'll share a little bit about that. Um, so when I had um, basically met this man, he, you know, informed me that we were past lovers in an Egyptian timeline. 
and he basically was able to seed into um, seed this toxic or predatorial energy into my being through transference of guilt and shame. And so I think the shame um, program is something that really we need to look at around this toxic um, programming because that's how we can just become so unworthy. We just flop over when we're feeling shame. We're just in such a low state of consciousness that anything can almost penetrate us. At least for me, that's what happened. And so through the story of weaving guilt and shame, I was almost hijacked and taken on this story. And um, through my journey with um, meeting him and going down this rabbit hole, I had to look at my past lifetime as a priestess and I started to do some internal work and saw how I in a past life had became hijacked almost by this Draco or um, false god or demigod that was literally siphoning my energy. And it was like I was preaching the god or praising the goddess and devoting my sexual energy, devoting my life force, sacrificing myself unwillingly. It's almost like I was duped by the goddess herself. And I was then basically giving myself, and I could feel my life force being siphoned into this demigod. And yet within me, I had to come face to face with a desire for power. Again, it was this power-hungry, thirsty force within me that became a predator in that timeline. And I had to face the part of me that was so wounded, at least in the story that was woven, was that I had betrayed him in a past timeline and had basically wanted to take over my own... Um, empress or emperor and i betrayed all these women i stole the work i wanted to reform my new temple and i had to come to terms with that within myself of oh my gosh i have betrayed i have lied i have stolen all for power of the goddess essentially and so i had to unravel that and look at the energetics of doing you know sex magic and giving my life force to these darker forces and weaving this web this black magic web that would basically entrap people and this root of it was that deep unworthiness the root of it was that desperation for love and i think that's something that when we boil it down, that desperation to be met, to be received, to be loved, you know, that's at its core. And as women, we'll do whatever it is, whether it's allowing the abuser to abuse us, because that's the only love that we'll get. You know, for me, that was it. It was just like, I'll allow this, just whatever. I just want to be loved. And so I had to look at that deepest place within me that was so empty of love and i think this feminine spirit is just an empty hole there's so much loneliness there's so much emptiness and just this lack of love and at the end of the day that's really what 
this program is inviting and is welcoming us is how can we love this shadow so much? How can we integrate this manipulative, narcissistic, you know, personality and really love her home and embrace the wounded child that is within us that just wants love. And, you know, for me, that was my biggest healing right there was literally loving that darkness, that vindictive, manipulative, lusty, seductive whore that was inside of me. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think that's, that's at the root and, you know, with, um, with the men and how they're basically coming and getting almost used by these women. Um, there was something I wanted to touch on that and I'm just trying to remember, but it's almost like when we are playing these men or when the woman is playing these men, there's something inside of her, at least for me, there was something that was aware. There's something not right here. Why is my body wanting to use these men? Why is my body wanting to gain something? I'm looking for love. And um, yeah, it was like, I wanted to take something from them, but I was also offering something to them is what I believed. And so, in offering, you know, ourselves as women, how can we do it in a way that is not going to take from men? And I think that's just a question that, you know, I can seed and ask people to reflect on is how can we truly ignite the divine feminine and offer something in exchange that is in alignment with love that's not taking from an unworthy place? So maybe I'll just leave it there. And um, yeah, let Marianne um, speak, or we can maybe take a bathroom break. Or yeah, we we could take a break right now. And thank thank all of you for sharing. We'll start off with Marianne uh, in this next segment. So for now, we're just going to take a break, and we'll be back in a few moments. Thanks, Jim. We're here with this August panel: uh, Laura Matsu, Kelsey Ray, E.B. Lorgan, and Marianne Fisher, and we're talking about toxic the toxic feminine and divine goddess programming. And we've touched on a number of issues we're about to delve into uh, the historical antecedents of all this with Marianne Fisher. I just want to make a couple of quick points. The divine feminine uh, programming is a tailor-made kind of counterinsurgency, if you will. The, the real insurgents and Evie Lorgan and I had a discussion about this before we started. The real insurgents are the ones who are trying to bring back, both male and female, the original divine feminine principle of creation, of nurturing, of, of love and, and family unit together and all that. This is a, a derivation of that. This is a corruption of that. And, and we've seen aspects of this over time, and they've become more extreme as time goes on. I've seen, and friends have told me about this, the the, ost the ostracization, if that's the word, how single mothers are ostracized, that there must be something inherently wrong with them if they can't keep a partner, to the point where if the single mother in our example is is pretty, let's say, she can't even make friends with other mothers because they're going to see her as trying to get together with their husbands and their boyfriends and their partners. 
So this latest wave of feminism is really anti-woman. It's anti-woman solidarity. It's not bringing women together. It's creating all these fractures and creating all these fault lines. And just to use the example of the single women, uh, single mothers rather, and also in, in the first segment, we talked about uh, the patriarchal mother and uh, and how because of the wounding and the shame-based manipulation that women go through, when they turn around to become mothers and, and role models, they take on the persona and the energy of the patriarchal mother, unfortunately and ironically. So I just wanted to touch on those two topics, uh, those points to keep in mind. So without any further ado, uh, Marianne Fisher, the, the next question I'd like you to address would be the historical antecedents of this, how we got to the stage and the, um, you know, the, some of the present day strategies that, and tactics that are utilized as this program goes on, the historical background of it, the modus operandi influences, and how people can recognize what's gone in the past is part of a continuum with what's going on today. So uh, the floor is yours, Marianne. Okay, um, I would like to proceed my input in this area by saying that this whole issue, none of this could have unfolded unless there was some level of human consent, of course, human relinquishment of self-responsibility, and the bottom line cause, if you will, if, we, if I could narrow it down to one thing, this is all based in, all of this stuff unfolds from, by design, the ruling class, the, you know, the non-human regressive beings that lord over this reality at this time, false identifications. Beginning with egoic identification in hand, that's been trained in hand from the moment we incarnate across all, uh, all of our incarnations within this distorted version of our reality at this time, that hand in hand with identification with the mind-body complex. So, and this is not about discounting the mind-body complex. It's about embracing it, but from a higher level perspective, from the perspective of being identified with what we really are, unique individuated consciousness incarnate within a gender-specific mind-body complex. So false identifications that are entrained within us. And I'll, I'll touch on that sort of at the end again, but I just wanted to preface what I'm going to say with that, uh, sort of in response to what you guys were talking about earlier. So now I'm going to go way back <laughs> before you know, pre-recorded society and civilizations, sort of at the onset of this whole usurpation of this reality by non-human regressive forces. And that's my term for negative dark. In contrast to progressive forces, those of us who are more oriented to balance and counterpoising regressive co-creation okay so those are just my terms for it instead of saying light and dark good or bad i try to use terminology that doesn't cause more separation judgments <laughs> okay so 
once aggregate humanity had been sufficiently traumatized by various cataclysmic events and had succumbed to rule by several regressive non-human species, socio-ideological dissension between those species led to their jurisdictional disposition of this planet as well as our solar system. By way of mapping out geographic sectors and awarding dominion thereover to the most powerful among them. And this is what accounts for the diverse cultures, societies, languages, esoteric and exoteric teachings and types of governance that have since unfolded. You know, the monarchies and now our modern day governments were just fronts for monarchies, if you will. <laughs> and this is why all of the ancient civilizations that we know something about including, you know, the Sumerians, Egyptians, Romans, Greeks, Druids, Celtics, Vikings, Teutonic, Germanic, Mayan, Anglo-Saxon cultures, as well as many others, engaged in offering and sacrificial rituals in order to gain the favor of not only their non-human designated human priestesses, but also to gain the favor of their alien non-human gods and goddesses or other non-human entities and or to invoke their presence on the earth. So that's sort of the root level of all of these nasty things we're talking about. <laughs> Many of these priestess goddess offering and sacrificial rituals were tied to celestial body worship, in particular the sun and the moon. With the moon being tied to the feminine principle, well before human consciousness and the human mind-body complex had regressed to their current much lower vibration rates. Um, numerous ancient cultures associated the waxing, the full, and the waning phases of the moon with the triple goddess archetypes of maiden, mother, and crone. With the maiden goddess holding sway over each new menstrual cycle, the mother goddess holding sway over ovulation and bleeding, shedding, and the crone goddess holding sway over the universal cycles of birth, life, and death. In other words, transformation. Keeping in mind that all of these rituals and offerings are sourced in regressive, non-human forms of culture. They're not human cultures. So we refer to these ancient cultures as being ancient human cultures. Well, they're not. <laughs> but we were entrained to them and have evolved through them and into the more modern stuff. So tying the inherent feminine and masculine as aspects of consciousness to dense material expressions of consciousness, for example, the planets and other celestial bodies, has been instrumental in entrenching human consciousness and co-creation in materialism and the material layer of being. By associating with aspects of ourselves with material bodies, we become more entrenched in our own material body and identified with it, as opposed to identifying with true self and nurturing and respecting and embodying and embracing all the features of this incredibly intelligent, even in its regressed state, vessel 
for soul, if you will. And this vessel that enables us to co-create, to interact with, to navigate through the material layer of being. You know, this slight shift in perspective to what we really are from what we've become identified with is really the key to virtually instantly extracting ourselves from all this deep programming. Yes, we still have to do the work. There aren't any shortcuts, folks. I just want to make that clear. We still have to work through all of these things that have kept us from these identifications. But now let's fast forward a little bit into more modern times going to jump ahead to 1487 when discredited German Catholic clergyman and inquisitor by the way Heinrich Kramer wrote and published the Malleus Maleficarum which is usually translated as the hammer of witches although he presents his own very explicit arguments favoring discrimination against women they were the culmination of millennia of entrained misogyny and centuries of Western misogynist writings. So he wasn't bringing new stuff. He was just bringing his own version of misogyny to the fore. And the book was quickly accepted by both Roman Catholics and Protestants as the general, the principal guide to Christian defense against acts of Satan. It spread rapidly throughout Europe in the late 15th and early 16th centuries due to the invention of the printing press and ultimately made its way to new American settlements in the early 17th century. Um, you know, the, the famous, infamous Salem witch trials. Um, Kramer posits a powerful gender-specific theory of witchcraft based in a hierarchical and dualistic worldview, wherein everything exists in pairs of opposites. For example, God and Satan, the Mother Mary and Eve, and men who were considered the pure virgins and women. Each positive principle in a pair, this is all according to Kramer, each positive principle in a pair is delineated by its, quote, negative pole. So rather than defining perfection, you know, the term that's used often in spiritual circles, in religious circles, so rather than defining perfection as the integration or preservation, so to speak, of opposites, the book defines perfection in terms of exterminating the negative element in a polar pair. In a polar pair. But, and because women are perceived as the negative counterpart to men, they corrupt male perfection, especially through, quote, witchcraft and must be destroyed. And as a direct result of Christian churches' adoption of this book as their go-to guide, many historians assert that hundreds of thousands of women were tortured and murdered during the 16th and 17th centuries in the name of defeating evil and Satanism. Some uh, historians assert as many as several million. And it needs to be noted here that many men were killed too. And I'll touch uh, just for a minute on how some of this played out. Many times, I mean, this is long before women had any societal power or influence in terms of property ownership and such things. Um, being able to 
be in control of household finances and, and those sorts of things. And so all in the name of getting rid of witches, many times men in the community, as well as other women, to support their husbands, would point at someone as being a witch in terms of being able to take control of property nothing more so they just all they have to do is say oh he's a witch or she's a witch oftentimes this happened in within families perhaps uh, a sons who stood to inherit family properties and finances upon the death of a father well maybe he got a little impatient waiting for mom to to move on and so he would point the finger or more than one child would point the finger at the mother as being a witch so this played out in all sorts of very insidious ways. And the local, quote, magistrates many times themselves were seeking possession of properties. So they would point the finger at women uh, in particular, as well as men as being witches. So this played out in all sorts of really nasty ways. Um, now we'll fast forward a bit to the Victorian area, era. Women in Victorian society were meant and in train to be weak, helpless, fragile, and unable to even think for themselves. Their only job was, then they're groomed for it. Their only job was to make sure that the home was comfortable for their husbands and children. And her one value, which ties into what Eve was touching on earlier, that her one value to the world was to produce a large family, to please her husband, and create a neutral and calm family atmosphere. During the preceding Georgian and Regency eras, and remember, Britain is a prime, they, they are dominant in world politics and land masses and all. So the, the Victoriana eras, eras and even the preceding eras, you know, Elizabethan eras and, and, and Regency and Georgian eras, those held sway over a large part of the world because Great Britain held sway, you know. So these, these uh, uh, attitudes affected women and men all over the world. Um, now, fast forward again a little bit jumping into the first wave feminism which took place in the late 19th and early 20th centuries as a backlash to victorian era notions of femininity in other words women were getting sick and tired of not having any the ability to own property um, and and then we're moving into the the rights to vote by then so this wave basically emerged through liberal socialist politics, which were being spurred by the harsh urban circumstances that were exacerbated by the engineered, you know, by the powers that be, the engineered onslaught of industrialism and industrialization, the precursor to the onslaught of advanced, so-called advanced technologies and transhumanism. So industrialization unfolded first. Now, the central goals of this movement, as I touched on, were to obtain equal rights and open up socioeconomic opportunities for women by way of 
owning property and gaining the right to vote. Though not completely hijacked, many first wave outcomes were subsequently exploited to the ruling class's financial and um, dominion advantages, while also advancing the regression of human consciousness and the mind-body complex. The second, so-called second wave feminism began in the 60s and continued into the 90s. It also emerged as a grassroots movement that correlated to and unfolded alongside the anti-Vietnam War and civil rights movements. When the CIA was tasked with hijacking the second wave movement, they recruited Gloria Steinem, whose radical feminism is well documented. She received funding from the Rockefeller Foundation, as well as the CIA, to establish MS, Ms. Magazine, which is still one of the most influential of all feminist publications to date. Despite her eventual admission that she was recruited by, or in the late 50s, by the CIA to infiltrate and undermine youth counterculture movements, self-proclaimed feminists today still regard her as a movement icon. Despite this revelation, it's just how deeply entrained and programmed people are. Um, the CIA's primary goal in strategically steering and managing second wave feminism was to covertly transform the grassroots, quote, power to the people movement into another divide and conquer mechanism that would radically advance the overseer's gender division agenda and therefore their overarching agenda of complete control and exploitations of humans. And because this movement really laid the groundwork for women getting into the workplace, getting jobs, becoming self-sustaining, or contributing to the incomes of their households, you know, their husband's incomes. Um, and this, you know, and simultaneously funded the state through taxes. Um, and built, you know, enable government to get bigger and more controlling and more intrusive in our lives. And there's a lot of other parts and pieces to this, but again, I'm trying to trying to narrow it down here. Um, third wave feminism movement began in the mid 90s, 1990s, that is. In this phase, programming, and it's this phase is still not quote phased out. It's part of the fourth wave feminism, which again, as Laura touched on, it's basically the, the rage backlash, the full-blown hate and rage of all this repressed um, oppression. <laughs> so third wave feminism in this phase, the programming is directed primarily at very young girls, little girls, preteens, teenagers, and young adult women. The tactics are geared toward the complete debasement of human sensibilities and behaviors with a focus on the destruction of values, ethics, natural gender recognition, you know, this whole gender confusion crap that's going on, genuine intimacy between people. That's falling by the wayside. Most people don't even know what it means to be genuinely intimate with another. Um, 
awareness of and sensitivity to the needs and feelings of others. That's falling quickly by the wayside. It's all about me, me, me. People have completely lost touch with um, caring about even what another feels or how they might be experiencing what's going on in the world or even in their own lives. Um, massive reduction of reproduction. James touched on that, you know, by way of toxins and all, you know, limiting sexual functionality of the mind-body complex, in particular, male reproductive capacities, but women as well. Um, and the total perversion of normal, healthy sexuality, with young girls being entrained to adopt behaviors that are blatantly solicitous of male oppression and exploitation by way of sexual objectification. And then again, like I said, that's, this is still going on and it's dovetailing with the whole rage driven fourth wave feminism backlash that's really coming to a big head right now. So I know that was a lot. I was trying to get a lot in and I left a lot out, but I hope that sort of laid the groundwork, generally speaking. Now there's all sorts of tactics for the ways these uh, or mechanisms by way these tactics are being played out. The entertainment in industry, for example. Uh, movies, oh my gosh. Just, just about any movie you watch. And I have to mention a movie. <laughs> I think, it, I don't know if I should say the title or not, but it was about a human detective working side by side with a puppet Muppet detective in solving a murder crime. I know this sounds crazy. It was one of those evenings where I thought, I just want to watch something light and fun and silly. And I can't think of the lead actress's name. She's very popular in comedy. In other words, humans live in the world with puppets. And puppets are the oppressed <laughs> in this society. Okay? They're the, they're the underdogs. But this movie turned into a shock fest of sexual perversion and debasement using the puppets as means of portraying this. And it was, it was so incredibly graphic and vile that I could not freaking believe it. But in addition to the movies that, as James uh, touched on, where men are these fawning milk toasts, don't know how to turn around in a room. And these women are these super goddesses. Oh, snap their fingers. And it's like, here, you handle that, you idiot. And I'll take care of saving the world. It's outrageous. So, um, okay, done for the moment. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Marianne. Sorry, I was having difficulty unmuting myself. All very good points, and thank you for a brilliant synopsis about all that. Uh, Laura Matsu, did you want to comment on, on that or anything else that has come to mind uh, while we were listening to Marianne? Yeah, Marianne, thank you. That was a really great kind of historical journey on where we came from and how we got to where we are now. And a the reason why a lot of these ideals of feminism like resonate with us is because they've basically just mixed truth with lies. So they've put a little bit of truth and then they put their painted their whole agenda around it. 
And I do want to touch on a few, I'm just making some notes as we've been going along. So, you know, this idea that you've said that value is determined by sexual attractiveness and youth is a program that I got bought into. And as Mary touched on, this is getting younger and younger and younger. It's disturbing, actually. And this is also just in my own, like, you know, I grew, I was born in the 80s and grew up in the 90s. And it's kind of just going on hyperspeed now with the invention of the internet. And um, the reason that this gets targeted through women is because women have a high creative energy life force. They have more chi. This is also why it gets infected into spiritual communities because women are essentially through spiritual work generating more chi. Um, and I think what we'll touch on, maybe not this time, but later, or I don't know, we'll see. But the womb is, the womb in women is actually our port, a huge portal to the infinite. It's a portal of creation, which is why women are being targeted in en masse through sexual abuse. That's like the easiest way to get in is to traumatize that space. And then you get all sorts of uh, that through that trauma, this becomes the portal for these other forces to enter. And a lot of what um, happened in like fourth wave feminism, which is what we're experiencing now, it was a huge part of the Me Too movement. And um, is this Pluto and Scorpio generation who's growing up? It's my generation who grew up in the 80s and 90s. Apparently, there was like an epidemic of sexual abuse that happened. And so these are precisely the p people who are the mouthpiece of fourth wave feminism. And what I see basically is like the elephant in the room is all this childhood sexual abuse that happened, you know, um, and, and, and what was the larger piece behind this? Instead, we're blaming the men and the predators instead of looking at like the deep trauma that's been happening to this generation of women. And that's basically behind all the rage and the blame and the hating men is most likely this kind of childhood sexual, they're part of this childhood sexual abuse epidemic in some way. Um, so, you know, and I think also what Marianne was pointing out in this history of the feminine, I see a thread even in the stories that we're telling is like, we have this kind of deep seed of betrayal amongst women because we're struggling to trust each other um, because we know that this kind of wounded template will run through uh, relationships with women, especially like this uh, competition, pitting women against each other. And then in fourth wave feminism, it's just like this false, like women empowering women to be successful in like a patriarchal world. It's like we're empowering the toxic feminine through women. And it's just become so far from actually like true connection, true relationship with women. Um, so you kind of have this deep seed of betrayal, I think, running on a soul level and historically with women because we've learned to sacrifice each other. In fact, we're even learning to sacrifice the feminine through fourth wave feminism because what we determine as feminism is actually uh, the kind of patriarchal mindset acting through the wounded feminine. At least that's what I see. I don't think that there's like, it's not that it's all across the board and there isn't kind of good things that have been happening. But for the most part, women are kind of using this newest incarnation of feminism as a way to blame and project and to play the victim instead of taking full self-responsibility. And that's a pretty hard pill to swallow because if you even want to look at you know, my partner uh, practices this modality called like holographic kinetics, which looks at past lives and removes traps of agreement. 
And most of the time when you experience abuse in this lifetime, usually you're on the other side in another lifetime. And that's a huge thing to tell someone in the normal matrix conditioning because then they're like, oh, you're blaming the victim. But that's what full like self-responsibility on a soul level actually looks like is looking at the deeper karmic patterns at play, taking like, quote unquote, like you and your ego self out of the picture and just be like, what is happening in my life? And how how am I energetically connected to this? So yeah, those are just kind of a few things that came up as I was listening to people speak. And even uh, as I was kind of thinking about this fourth wave of feminism and how it's kind of like, the role models for it were like the Spice Girls. Um, that was like that. I know that was like one of my first CDs when I when I was a, t- a preteen, and it was really teaching me basically the toxic feminine templates because you have like the baby, so the infantilized feminine. You have the scary feminine, like being afraid of the feminine. You have the sexy, the objectified one, the posh, materialistic, and then the sporty, who's like kind of the sexualized tomboy. So these were the role models growing up. And now even you see now with, I mean, it's it's just out of control with like Miley Cyrus and the kind of programs that she's running and the overt hyper sexualization and and fetishes that she's basically introducing to young girls. Like it's actually terrifying. And the reason why it's really important to kind of take back the power of the feminine because the feminine ultimately is also supposed to protect the children. And as long as she's running this program where she's objectifying herself and she's um, and she's sacrificing herself, basically, in some way, even though it may not look like the sacrifices of ancient times, it is a soul sacrifice. The, the children actually aren't being protected. And that's that's kind of the the, the piece that I see even happened um, in this epidemic of sexual abuse that ended up kind of leading to this whole Me Too thing. Um, and the way that that's linked is because when you're sexually abused as a child, you kind of develop, uh, like the predator knows who to abuse. He knows exactly the child who's not protected, who to go after. So where were the parents in all of this is a real question. It's like, where was the mother to protect? Like, how could, how could the mother notice that a child was being sexually abused and not, you know, not see that something was going on? So there's a there's a really like larger piece which I see coming in is like and it really has a lot to do with like the children that we're raising and it's kind of a little bit scary to think of the children who are being raised in this complete gender confusion they're being put on um, puberty blockers the second that they start acting like the uh, gender that's different than their gender at birth and so you know and this is and and the feminist and the whole um the feminists have really allied with this like uh, pro transgender movement and i'm i believe there's there's two spirited people and they're out there but not to the extent that we're creating it and not to the extent where we have to start literally genetically modifying children to change into genders like it's just it's it's really gotten completely wild and out there and i know that topic is going to maybe trigger some people maybe not people who listen to this podcast but I think really what it comes down to is like the children are being targeted now more than anything, because that's really how you, if you want to talk about like a trauma installment, you really have to get, you have to install it when you're a child, basically. So that's kind of what I want. I kind of touched on and basically everything that people said and where we're kind of at now with this, with this um, fourth wave of feminism is, is very focused on, 
identification and supporting the victim in their like you can't even question um you can't even question a woman who has has shared an experience of sexual abuse and you know even talking about how there's variants of it i.e there's a difference between like a guy touching you on the bum and and a guy raping you but it's all just black and white you know divide and conquer thinking and um, also a piece I want to bring in too is just, uh, that it's for women, it's really about allying with their inner masculine as well. Cause the inner masculine is actually also an aspect that will like protect you, make boundaries, um, you know, stand up for yourself. Um, and that's what I see, um, happening. And I think I touched on this in the first hour is that w women have, like a toxic masculine animus basically and then it's acting through the feminine pain body and so yeah that's i, I know i said a, i touched on a lot of things but um yeah that's what I, that's kind of the state that i see it in now and it is really craziness right now like we're kind of at i think marianne said like the, the pinnacle like the peak of it thank you for sharing that laura few quick points for me and I'll, I'll pass it on to Evie. We talked about the divide and conquer and how so many of these most recent wave feminists are actually quite hostile to other women, or women who want to raise children, have a family. They're kind of written off as breeders. Uh, you're not fighting for our rights, says the wounded uh, latest generation of feminists you're perpetuating our our persecution by bringing especially all these male children into the world and notice how the the fem feminist movement dovetails with the climate change alarmist where now young girls have been essentially brainwashed and browbeaten into saying well i've decided not to have any children when i'm older because i'm doing that for the planet to the point where women are being encouraged to not only have not have babies, but to abort their babies that they're already carrying in their womb for the planet. And this is like a modern version of the, the corn harvest of, of ancient times, where if you want us to have a harvest next year, you better start sacrificing your firstborn or you better start sacrificing your children. And you look at what the Aztecs did. If you want the sun to come up tomorrow, you know, <laughs> we better find some volunteers to extract their hearts out of their chest. Otherwise the sun won't rise. So we have all these things dovetailing and weaving in and out with each other. I asked, and this can maybe even get us banned, <laughs> you know, but I just have to throw it out. Where are all these feminists? when all these honor killings are going on now in the UK and not just the UK, but all over the, the world. No, you can't come back to your family. The family members say to the beaten and abused and raped young girl who's been forced to marry a guy 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than her. You got to go back. You got to go back. Or you're going to dishonor us. Now, if she decides to run away from all the abuse and everything else or worse, take up with someone else who actually loves and cares about her, that's grounds for an honor killing. So the family will send the brothers, the cousins, whoever, to find that girl, oftentimes rape her and then kill her. So where are all the feminists screaming about that? Okay, so there's some built-in contradictions we have at work. So they've got the, the climate change on board. They've got 
they're turning a blind eye to all the, the rapes and all the honor killings and everything else. So there's some built-in contradictions to, to what we're seeing here. And uh, one more point that uh, to elaborate on what Laura pointed out about how even mothers are being groomed. Well, for example, many of these young boy stars who are groomed, they even have conventions where parents will bring their young, good-looking boy children to these conventions, and then these Hollywood moguls will come along, and, and they'll, they'll pick amongst the crowd and say, we'll make this uh, little kid to be the next child star. And once they've chosen the kid, they begin to work on the mother. We can't have these overbearing mother managers um, you know, splitting hairs, nitpicking, getting in the way. We want what's best for the child. We want what's best for you. You're going to have to take a back seat in order for us to make your child a star. And so often as not, these mothers go along with it, and then they just allow these Hollywood types to uh, do horrible and speakable things to their children. And she's thinking she's doing something for the good of the child, for the good of the family. That's how distorted everything is. So, uh, Eve Lorgan, would you like to comment on, on any of this and anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, gosh, you brought up some really good uh, points. And um, one thing that just kind of uh, red flag to me was uh, throughout history, we've been inculcated through religion and spiritual practices to feel like that we have to make some kind of sacrifice or else or we won't get the corn harvest or we won't get the the gods to protect us or whatever and then um not only the to normalize quote self-sacrifice and i'm not against self-sacrifice for the sake of like saving your child for a good reason and it's sometimes as a mother i mean you're going to want to do what's best for your child and you'll want to do it but not because you think you should but because you love them so much you you will try to protect them that that's a good quality right um but i see that um the persons who have been abused both male and female really especially sexually abused women if they haven't done their healing work um, they may self-sacrifice or sacrifice their children for example if a mother has been abused by a narcissist uh, pedophile husband and and then so she has to numb herself in order to function and survive and then so she basically sacrifices her children to become abused um because that's part of the program and because they're not healed, but this whole thing of like sacrificing and um, abandoning each other. So I actually see this with wounded females, which is sad. Um, I mean, I'm sure wounded males do this too, but they will um, sacrifice or abandon their other female uh, relationships and friendships so that the first time, you know, a woman, you know, gets a boyfriend, she just dumps her girlfriend to, to go off with the man or the boyfriend and um, when when the going gets rough they're just the first to abandon their girlfriend whereas like a man who's a warrior on the battlefield like the marines for example um, their law is you, you never leave one man behind you are there for your brother for your the one who is your uh, fighting with you you you're, there's a brotherhood going on where they they don't leave a man behind they they take care of their own but i've seen women abandon each other with with a sense of um just uh, extreme betrayal and hurt and abandonment that women will actually abandon one another because they're so wounded and they're so competitive and i guess it's the dark unhealed feminine where they actually abandon their own kind um in a way that that is almost shocking um but i guess that's anybody who's wounded they can't be the hero they can't pull the hero out of them 
like uh, the male hero would be, let's say, the, the healthy masculine that is the protector should come out and, and would not abandon you on the battlefield. But I've seen women abandon their girlfriends on the battlefield in times of great distress and leave them to, to just to rot and, 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 and justify the whole thing because they become so selfish and so self-centered in their own woundedness, in their own narcissism. You know, and I guess that happens with males too, but um, I think the hero, even the quality of the hero, which is really the divine masculine in some ways, the protector is also being downplayed so that that's not somehow honored anymore. And I think that that's why, you know, the code of honor for the samurai, you know, they had a code of honor for a reason because they are warriors and protectors and defenders and there's nothing wrong with that. And that they're trying to take away that ethical value like Marianne was talking about, like everything is eroded, the ethics and the character and the codes of honor is being, you know, basically chipped away at so that, you know, these kids are growing up confused and abused and there's, there's not even a code of honor of ethics anymore, you know, and they think, oh, well, maybe it's okay. I'll get some love if I become a transgender or if a, if a woman's abused that in order for her to, to feel good about herself, she has to deny the feminine, be a tomboy, and maybe grow up to be a lesbian because that's the only way to, to feel loved and safe. Um, so there's a lot of, um, I think, people growing up and trying to adopt and identify with that which is really not who they are in order to feel love or to not feel the shame of whatever their woundedness is, you know. But I think the code of ethics and the code of honor is being stripped away uh, from the the ideal of the protector and the male warrior, as well as the female warrior, to protect our children and protect our sisters and even the men from the abusers and the pedophiles and whoever's out there hurting others and the vampires, you know. So I don't know. That's my that's my role for right now, <laughs> you know. Just to that's what I saw is the, the sacrifice thing, the normalization of sacrifice, which is really unnecessary. We don't need to be sacrificing to gods or pedophiles or your local Masonic Lodge or your local banker. We don't need to be sacrificing to them, you know? Absolutely. Um, a quick point, a couple of points I'd like to make before I pass it on to Kelsey. The inverse of that, really two sides of the same coin, is the weak, vacillating male that I alluded to earlier, what I'm observing is more and more males, whether it's because they've just taken too much atrazine, that, that chemical that, that feminizes and pacifies them, whatever the case may be, through some kind of matrix manipulation, soul agreements, whatever the case may be, they wind up, some of these weak, vacillating males, paired up with one of these damaged, toxic, overbearing, uh, bossy women, where the male, especially if children are involved, if it's a family, the male has virtually no say in anything to do with the family, the finances, the future planning, travel, vacations. Uh, oftentimes, the, the woman, in our example, will isolate that male. They, they can't even interact with their own family anymore. They, they have to lose all of their male friends, lose, especially lose all their female friends. And so what you have is, is a very weak male dominated by this overbearing, henpecking wife. And he, he's just pacified, weak, basically a mouse. And I'm seeing more and more of that as time goes on. 
Uh, Kelsey Ray, would you like to comment on any of this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking about the sacrifice and the essence of these children being offered, it brings me back to the past book of um, in the Bible. There's the book of Kings that introduces the Jezebel spirit, and she was the queen of the king of Ahab. And she basically persuaded him to let go of his prophets and his path with Yahweh and God and basically serve this god named Baal, which basically she offered all the children to the god of Baal and basically took over the throne and killed all the people to so that if they didn't if they weren't listening to her, they were they were slaughtered and basically killed. And it brings in that human sacrifice where these children, she was offering these children to this demigod. And in that Bible, it's almost, you know, it, it states the, the theme or the seed of what you see now in cultures where, where, you know, where people are selling their daughters to the music industry and sacrificing their children for this Jezebelian spirit. And they're feeding, you know, their children to this dark feminine essence. And then you see with Lilith, even as well, the story of Lilith, where she would not be subservient, subservient to her, to Adam, you know, the original male. And so she instead ended up slaughtering children and torturing women and basically emasculating men. And I feel that almost ties into this fourth wave westernized feminist movement that's happening where they're emasculating men so much to the point where they don't even want to have male babies. You know, it's a war on men. And where did this come from and why is it here? It's like, it's just so twisted to me how far it has come, but the seedings of it all go way back. And it's even stated in the Bible and the Old Testament, you know, it's, but again, it's that, that sacrifice of these children. And now it's getting to the point where it's so young you know we're we're offering our children to this toxic feminine movement when they're 11 years old you see kids like young teenagers now like the way that when I was a kid like yes I was promiscuous but that wasn't until I was about 16 you know now children are 10 years old and being massively sexualized there's just something so wrong with that picture and it just to me it feels like we really need to look at this and as women as mothers of these children as mothers of these wounded boys that are allowing the woman to walk over them you know we have to team up with the men because for so long the men have just been like yes praise the woman we love you we want to see you rise like no men are fighting back because i think they truly want to see the woman come back into their power you know, men are allowing women, are, they're bending down in some ways, in some places on the world at least, you know, not, not everywhere, but we have to team up with the men and actually work with them and not against them, you know, coming back to that sacred union and divine blueprint that is our true essence and our loving nature. 
And so it's just, it's, it's sad to see that these women are emasculating men and even feminists going as far as, you know, I want to kill the patriarchy and kill the men. And it's, it's just so sad, you know, I'm, it's very sad. So we as women have to be able to look at how we've enabled that. How have we come so far to allow this abuse of humanity to unfold and how can we come back and heal those wounds within us heal the patriarchal wounds that our mothers have passed down and the you know allowing the abuse to happen and and really take responsibility that's really the bottom line is how can we be responsible for ourselves and stop sacrificing ourselves stop sacrificing our children to this agenda because if we continue this, like, it's just, I have no idea what's going to happen to our humanity, you know, and that, that's part of this artificial distorted timeline in this reality is to take us away from that true feminine essence, you know, that life-giving, nurturing, loving wholeness, um, all welcoming and all encompassing energy. So you know, the divine feminine has a long way to come, but yeah, I really feel this year is all about rising up that masculine um, within us to hold that wounded feminine so that we don't have to keep wounding um, ourselves and our children. So that's just, yeah, my piece with that. Um, the Jezebel, that's, I mean, the stories of Jezebel and how she was associated with all these false prophets and how she misled all these um, saints away from God. And I see it in the media culture. It's just, you know, this force that comes through women that just takes over and is persuading these young women to become like them. And it's, yeah, it's, it's brutal. Some of the things that are out there in media right now, it's just mind boggling. Like Marianne was kind of talking about with the movies now, it's just so blatantly obvious and right now it's a divine call out to really look at this and heal it and integrate it and love it back home because our humanity it really depends on it well thank you kelsey and uh, I, I think that's a good note in which to leave this segment uh, we're going to continue this again and we'd like to all the listeners and viewers know that this panel audio and video will be available on all of our websites, not just mine, not just on um, anyone else's. It'll be available on all, all of ours. So when the time does come for it to be published, we encourage everyone to uh, give it maximum dissemination through social media and through your interpersonal networks. So just get this information out there as, as much as you can to just be prepared for some degree of pushback, some degree of wailing and gnashing of teeth because it's a very triggering in your face kind of subject. But we have to address this contentious issue at some point because as Kelsey just pointed out, the survival, indeed the continuation of the human race is at stake. And if, if we don't do something about this now, the human race will morph into something completely different uh, than what it was originally intended to be. So um, with that, I, I want to thank all of you, Laura, Matt, Sue, Evie Lorgan, Kelsey Ray, Marianne Fisher. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the outstanding work you're all doing out there. It, it's just a privilege and honor to be associated with you. 
James, thank you for being that rising masculine and holding this foundation for us to come together in this way. It's really amazing to see the men such as yourself standing up and supporting women in this way. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I second that. Thank yes. You, thank you, James, for allowing us to just speak as we will and uh, being willing actually to facilitate this conversation. It's, it's great. Thank you. Okay, ladies, um, until the next time, and to all our viewers and listeners out there, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, have a very pleasant time, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Because this is a frequency war.